Hey guys, for our opener today we got college basketball, the controversial ending between Virginia versus Auburn, Final Four descending, we'll dissect it all. Next we got Survivor Talk, things really heating up on the edge of extinction in the Fiji Islands. Next we got MLB reactions from week one, we'll uh, detail it all, give you our takes on the hot topics. Then we got a food talk, is it hard for vegans to live or is it not? Then uh, as we do weekly, we'll give you our soft twist soft tissues and tough cookie and finally we'll close you off with a final four of the best bands and here to start you off our friends from arcade fire And as Andrew said earlier, uh, the first game of the night was Virginia and Auburn. Auburn was up two with 1.5 seconds left. Uh, Virginia in inbound the ball to Kyle Guy. He takes an off-balance three from the corner. Um, 10 blue, got him on the foul. Yeah, and, uh, um, what was the ref's name? Joe? Gene Serotone. Serotone, yeah. yeah. Um, he uh, came in and said... That was the correct call made. He did not let the uh, shooter the shooter uh, land. If he does not land, it, it, the rule is always you have to give him space to land, and usually it's either if he gets him on the arm or not. Right. That's usually the call for a, a three-point play. Yeah. yeah. And Kyle Guy drains all three. Auburn tries a last-minute heave. Um, but Pretty much hopeless at that yeah, point. At that I point. mean, detail the minutes before that moment. Um, Virginia up 10 with... What five minutes to go? Yeah, w they were up about ten, and then they went on a huge drought, and they Auburn couldn't score out. for like four minutes. Um, Auburn goes on a 10-0 run, so then they were up. Uh, they went up three. They went up three. Yeah. Then, um, then Texas or then Virginia Tech went on a 5-0 run to close it off. I mean, that was an incredible game, although it wasn't pretty to watch all the time. Um, that was just a hard-fought battle between two great teams. Um, I think the better team won in the end. Um, I think I think Virginia played fairly well, although their time management wasn't great. I think they could have managed the time well. Tony Bennett could have called timeouts in certain situations to down the momentum, but I think it was a very well-played game, I would say. Yeah, they, uh, in Virginia, had a few chances to go ahead late, but um, I they took really bad shots. Ty Jerome was forced into... Um, a couple deep threes that were not good shots. And like we said, uh, Tony Bennett had two timeouts waiting for him um, that he could have used to drop a set to get a, a better shot, maybe get a drive for Hunter or an open three for Kyle Guy. But he decided not to and let him play, and, and it really didn't help him at all. They kind of got a little lucky. They had the lucky um, no double dribble call, the one off of Ty Jerome's foot. Um, that they did not call. That was a, a blown call, I'd say. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, do you think that the NCAA should do anything about the obvious double dribble call miss? Like, make a rule change. Just maybe make an acknowledgement that they did miss the call. These things happen sometimes. Um, so what do you think they should do about it? At this point, I don't think they need to do anything. I don't know how that even work. Like, how, Well, I mean, what, it's what similar to like the missed call in the... Uh, NFC Championship game between the Saints Rams, and it takes one big moment to make a huge rule change. 
And in a situation like that, I mean, under 10 seconds remaining, and it was obvious. I saw it live. Like, I don't know. I get that refs make mistakes, but I thought that was obvious that it didn't hit the Auburn defender when he was going behind the back. Then it hit his foot. I mean, that was a clear double dribble call. Um, if I was an Auburn fan, I just I couldn't let go of that call. That will just bite bite me for the rest of my life. Um, it'll be hard to forget about that one. Um, I mean, it was just absolutely preposterous, egregious. Things have to be done about that call because um, I really think it took the game away from Auburn. And I think it's kind of being I, um, a little bit overblown right now, not covered as much as the foul call at the end of the game with Kyle Guy. So, I mean, it was a very controversial ending. I hate to see it end that way, but, you know, that's kind of the reality of being a sports fan in this day and age where the refs are under a magnifying glass, under high scrutiny every game, and, you know, you just have to, it's the way of the road. They're going to make mistakes, and you kind of have to deal with it, but it's a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're an Auburn fan. That was a clear double dribble call, and if that doesn't happen, then I believe, I mean, uh, wasn't Virginia down three at that point? Yes, they were. Virginia was down and three. Auburn gets the ball. They foul. Probably make at least one two possession game. I think um, that means Auburn's winning that. Winning oh that no, game, no, no, advancing. no! They, no, they, they were, were they were down Auburn, three. Auburn was up. Auburn was up two, I believe, or maybe up. No, four. it was it was uh, no no three. There was they're up three. You're right. No, yeah. it could have been up four. Be- no, no, no. They're up three. three. Fouled. Then yeah. they fouled, and then they got the two free throws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you bring up the point. Who was the MVP of the game? For me, I would go Kyle Guy, um, just because of how clutch he was at the end of the game. I don't think there's one obvious person that really stood out. Um, I mean, looking at the stat sheet, Kyle Guy had 15. Ty Jerome had 21, uh, 50% from the field. But I would go Kyle Guy because of his clutch shots at the end of the game and the free throws that he shot. Uh, for me, I'd probably go with uh, Ty Jerome, just because his work on the boards. He was their leading re- rebounder with nine rebounds. Yeah. Um, Diakite has been a key component of late, um, but struggled tonight. Only scored two. Obviously, he hit the he hit the shot to send it in overtime against the Boilermakers. But he's o- still a physical presence but o- inside. But know. overall, he's been um a really consistent rebounder. Um, I mean, he's been a guy who. Hasn't played basketball even all that much in his life. He's only been playing since he was about 14. So there's still a big learning curve for him at this level. Yeah, and now moving on to the Texas Tech-Michigan State game. Unfortunately, as a Spartan fan, it was a tough night. Uh, Texas Tech wins 61-51. to Looks like for a while, Michigan State down 13 with about 10 minutes to go. They cut it to four with uh, five minutes remaining. I yep. think five minutes re- remaining. Then uh, uh, it was 52-51 Texas Tech leading. Texas Tech goes on a 9-0 run to end the game. Very unfortunate. Um, how shocked were you that Texas Tech won, or was, did you kind of expect it going in? I wouldn't say I expected it. I expected Michigan State to win. Um, they were favored in this game, as you might would expect. But um, Texas Tech has been playing really well lately, so it wasn't a huge surprise to me that that they won the game. Um, let held Michigan State to only fifty one points. They've been great defensively this whole year. Um, they've only they've all kept teams under seventy points, under sixty five points around that area all year long. And um, 
they did a great job on just consuming the ball handlers and not letting them get into their sets really easily. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Chris Beard did an unbelievable job with that program. I think he's only been here. I mean, he's caught he's coached D one for four years. I think he's been at Texas Tech for three of those, two or three of those. So just like unbelievable job with that program turned around. It's normally a football school along with Auburn, um, but Texas Tech they turned into a defensive powerhouse. Michigan State couldn't get anything going inside. Um, I mean, looking at the numbers, Cassius Winston had a very inefficient game. They held Nick Ward, uh, one of the best big men in all of college basketball, to five points. Cassius Winston, very inefficient from the field, four for 16. And I think that was kind of the Achilles heel of the Spartan team tonight. They needed a big game from their guards, and unfortunately they could not uh, produce that just because of the defensive pressure. Jared Culver and company... um, put on the Spartan squad and for that reason I think Chris Beard's going dancing in the national championship game and um for me I got I got them as the favorite versus Virginia. Really? I think um I just think that Texas Tech they've been on such a hot streak right now. I think they have a better um offensive game um in totality. I think Jarrett Culver can really uh shoot it from outside and he can drive inside I think Virginia although they won tonight I think they're struggling offensively a bit and I think with Texas Tech's defensive pressure Virginia's never faced anything like it all year I got Texas Tech in this one Chris Beard's cutting down the nets Monday night well for me lastly if you were to pick one team to win it all right now um bet on your life who would you pick Virginia still even though uh, it's shown that if you don't have an Virginia. extremely... Yeah, really. Virginia. They got a good offense this year. I'm not worried about them. I think they'll come back revenge season after getting the upset last year. And that was the clip that uh, Jack pulled up. He predicted this in January. Is he Jesus? The, what is it, like a, the prophet that predicts things? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for me, Virginia, I just... I mean... It seemed like they're due. It seemed like Tony Bennett was due. Um, I, mean, I think Texas that? Tech will be a really hard matchup. I mean, both defensively good teams, so they know each other's style. Um, so it's going to be a grinder, obviously. Yeah, I mean, uh, your dad brought up the point. Who uh, Do you think this game is over 100 points? I would say yes. I think this is going to be a breakthrough. One team will at least – you're going to have to score 60 to win the game. I, I don't think that the game this the tempo will be so slow that uh, I think that I mean and also the shooters just they're not shooting the ball incredibly well for either team although Kyle guy had kind of clutched up at the end of the game he didn't shoot that well um, throughout the entirety of the game for Texas Tech besides Jarrett Culver I don't think they have or I guess uh, Mooney had a great game tonight he really clutched up for them I don't look for him to have as good of a game, similar to Ryan Klein, he just kind of caught a hot streak tonight. Sometimes happens in the happens in the tournament. Well, I th- I don't I th- expect the same though on Monday night. Though. I mean, he scored twenty two, which is above his average, but I think he's still a very polished shooter and will be very composed being an older guy. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's gonna drop thirty um, on the Cavs, but I would totally expect him to be hitting threes. There's there's no doubt in my mind by that. Yeah, and that's why I got Texas Tech. I just think they have more offensive firepower, and I still think that they're actually a superior defensive team than Virginia, although that's the trademark of a Virginia basketball team, their defense. 
I got Texas Tech in this one. I love Chris Beard. Um, I love his intensity and his character that he brings to that team. So, uh, um, yeah, that's my reason. Um, and as Andrew said earlier, um, Survivor Edge Edge of Extinction um, has been heating up this this Wednesday, and um, and out of all the uh, add-on parts of Survivor being like Exile Island, Redemption Island, this one has been the best from um, what outsiders say, from what I say, what Andrew says. And I think it's just created a whole different dynamic um, about the, the, the people in the game not even knowing what's going on with the other people they thought they're out of the game and that their history. And the fact that they're still in the game even after they lost the, the challenge. So when... Um, when Rick came back in the game, they still had the option to stay in. Um, Keith and what's her other and Reem decided no Reem no stayed. no not Reem. Um, Keith and Wendy. Yeah, Keith Wendy, and Wendy, Wendy left. Yes. Um, they surrendered. But overall, I think uh, um, this portion add onto the game has been much better compared to anything else. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it adds a another dynamic, another level um, to this already excellent. Um, strategic strategic um battle battling game uh i think on edge of extinction it really pushes you to the limits you have almost no food you're given like a bucket of rice to share with your six um not even tribe mates but just your competitors i would say and you have to kind of coexist in society where you're trying to outduel one another um i think especially with this week things heating up with aubrey found the advantage and she gets to send an extra vote to someone. So there's also strategy involved. So this whole nother level of Edge of Extinction really um, makes the game more intense and just adds another thing to think about um, when you're playing the game of Survivor. And uh, I, th I think it's really interesting. I don't know how it'll play out, but overall this season has been one of my favorites so far. And especially another aspect of the game that I like is the returning players. I never realized how much a difference it would make how a lot of the people are like, they've played the game already. They deserve to be voted out. We want more experience. I didn't think it would be played out like that. Well, for that, I say they that makes a lot of sense to me. They want those guys out. Like, they had their chance, um, and they know their style of play. And they also are like, these are the best players out here. We already know that they're um, solidified their spot in Survivor. So we got to take them out early. And going back to your point um, about Edge of Extinction, the only part I don't like about this modern era of Survivor, and then specifically Edge of Extinction, is the advantages. There's way too many out there. I know they need it for like TV ratings and to make the game more exciting, but I think, I don't know, it, it seems like they're making it too easy to find these advantages and idols. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, seems, if you notice... Yeah, everyone if, gets, like, it was uh, just a total nuance when Russell found um, the first immunity idol with no clues at all in Season 19. Today... That's just like every show, there's an idol being found just out of nowhere, like with no clues or anything, just because people go on idol hunts, but they're making it too easy, I think. Um, and if you notice on the screen, it says, when it says the person's name now, it says like Lauren, um, Merged Tribe, and then it says one idol. Like that's insane that they put it in like the part of the name now. Well, I mean, it's such an important thing I know, to have. I, but yeah, like, I think they should, but it's just funny how they do it now because usually, usually there's only like one maybe two idols in the game at that point but it seems like now everyone has it also um what you brought up uh before we recorded this was 
how prevalent blindsides are now, which has like totally changed the game. And I like this, but I just want to hear your take on it. Yeah, I mean, like when we talk about blindsides and um, winning the game, you need that big resume. So for me, um, you want the numbers always. But if you're at the head of the snake leading, you know, the the um, pack of six or seven versus those uh, four four other players at the bottom just getting um, getting ready to get knocked off one by one, it seems like it's almost easier now to, to be, be at the bottom, the bottom. because you, some people will flip now just to get a blind set because they know they have to get a good resume. Before, they would just take that block of seven to seven and have, have a little civil war there. It didn't matter to them. And... And if you're at those top two spots, they're going to gun for you right away. So we either have to be like at those bottom four or actually, honestly, you want to be best... on the, you want to be on the low, you want to be in the position where you can flip flop. I would say, yeah, you want to be, it's almost the perfect spot would be the bottom of the big alliance. Cause then you can flip right away and then you can try to work your way to be one of the like ringleaders of the bottom and start orchestrating those blind sets. Cause you've got to make sure you're orchestrating yourself to build that resume. Right. And, um, as we learned in survivor and especially this season, there, there's no such thing as trust in survivor. And that has not been a more common theme this season, but also you don't want to be the ringleader of the big Alliance because it seems like people just really want to, cut the head of the snake off as you said they want to get rid of that leader because he's a threat to the game and it adds to the resume i compare it to if you get good grades in school that's great but you also need other things to get into college you need volunteer you need to do extracurriculars and that's the type of blind sides people are looking to try to get so um i think the blind sides it adds more like mystery and uh, more drama to the show which is um fun so i think I kind of like the small alliance versus the big alliance. People trying to flip. You really have no idea what's going to happen when you go into tribal council. Because I feel like there's so much drama that they have to cover within the show. That in the end you don't get each other's ideas which I like. Um, so it's a really interesting aspect of the game. And I think uh, Survivors is at an all time peak right now. Well, I also a point I want to make. Do you think like going after the big challenge threats is important now? No, because... Especially, I don't think uh, there's an, there's not anyone in this season particularly that could go on a challenge run like Ozzy well, did. Besides Joe, uh, I don't even think he could. Why not? He went on a five-one. Joe, oh, with the long hair and the beard. Yeah, he's one of the. Well, best... he's not even in the game right now, though. I know, but you just said in in the in this season. But I'm saying that like, besides Joe, because he's the only one who can go on a streak and win the game by winning challenges. But the other people, I don't think it even matters that much. Like you need, you need to go after the people who are mentally strong. Yeah, like, don't go. I mean, like I what, a survivor, don't go after physical threats. Strategic threats are so much more valuable to the game, and that has been shown in the past winners. Like, it's it physical abilities don't even really matter that much anymore, unless you're in the top four, and then you 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 earn your way in. Or I mean, you're you, right on the chopping well, block, you, and then. You also, you need a few immunities, but it's not that big of a deal. And also, I think it's the fact that the challenges now have gotten way different compared to the, um, like, pre, like, season 20. Season 20 and on, they're more like, the individual immunities are, like, balancing things and, like, holding things and staying for a long time. Compared earlier, it was, like, 
running through an obstacle course and then doing a puzzle. I don't really like how it is now with between like merge thirteen to six, um, but that's just me. I I think that's um, a healthy survivor talk. Yeah, we can... yeah. We will move on. Now moving on to MLB, uh, we're going to cover some of the week one headlines. So one of the major headlines in Major League Baseball right now is the Cubs are two and six. So with this, do you think that Madden is uh, on the hot seat? Uh, for me, I don't think Madden is on the hot seat. Um, even though they had a really bad start, still a small sample size of baseball. A lot of games to be played left. Um, Madison, Madden has proven himself um, as a manager, being one. Does he prove himself? Because he almost choked in like the playoffs where they won the World Series. I don't think he's that great of a, of a strategic manager in today's game. The game has evolved, and he hasn't evolved with it, in my opinion. Well, I think he's a little behind, but he's still very good. I think he's um, still a very good clubhouse manager. Not as good as he was with the Rays, because um, he was a huge analytics guy back with the Rays, but now he's becoming one of the least almost. I'd yeah, say. it seems like that. For me, I do think that he's on the chopping block. The Cubs have like a, I think this is maybe the last year of their window, maybe next year, because all their guys, Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, all on, um, all on free agent deals in the coming years, and. I don't think they're going to be able to pay all those guys with the bad contracts they've signed. They have signed some of the worst baseball contracts in the game right now. Yu Darvish has been garbage. Um, uh, ben Zobrist, I mean, he's been a quality player for the uh, previous couple years, but he's really degrading now as an old player. Um, Chatwood out of the bullpen has been a disaster. Um, they signed him to a pretty lengthy deal. Um, so all these guys... I think they're aging, and the Cubs front office just has a, done a bad job of managing who they're going to get in the offseason. Uh, so I think that Madden is on the hot seat because he's done a poor job um, with this team, and the Cubs' window is within the next one to two years, and if they don't win another one, I get that they won one. They they did it. They defeated that hurdle of the 108 years without a championship when no one ever thought they could. They did that, but... Uh, they have a couple more years before another rebuild, in my opinion. Um, see, I think they still have a little bit longer of a window. Not, like, super long. I think just, like, one more extra year. I think with the money they have, they could, um, you know, hold on to some of those good players for in that extra year and then pull in one more good batter, one more good pitcher to make one last playoff push in two years or so. But I do agree with you um, that their window is closing. Yeah. Um, which team are you worried about the most out of the these teams that expected to be um, some of the best in baseball They but, but have struggled in the first week? Cubs, Red Sox, Astros, and Yankees. I think the Cubs for me. I mean, the Red Sox, defending champs, um, if you believe in a little World Series hangover or not, um, that could be a factor. But I think they're too talented to be uh, struggling this long. The Yankees, they're my preseason World World Series champion. The injuries are getting to them a little bit, but I think they'll find a way um, to get through the season. Uh, Stanton will be a huge loss for a little bit of time, and then Severino, they'll get back in a few weeks. But um, until then, I think they can hold their ground 
And honestly, it's not like I don't think the Rays are going to be anywhere near the top competing with them, even though it might seem like right now they will be. Um, but come September, they'll be fine. Uh, Astros, Astros are going to do their thing. I don't think you can really even call it struggling. Um, I think, obviously, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, Springer, those top four guys are um, the best in the game. And then to the Cubs' point, as we just talked about, um, yeah, they're struggling. Their pitching staff is kind of incomplete, I feel. Um, Quintana, he's just been okay over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, it w- not that he was, like, overrated, but um, I think people thought too much of it as a hot topic um, when the Cubs acquired him two years ago at the trade deadline. Um, for me, I'm most worried about the uh, Red Sox just because their starting pitching has been um, atrocious, and especially because they're battling with a, a tough American League. I mean, as a league, I would say the American League's pretty tough. I think the Rays are going to battle up there. I think you still underestimate the A's and what they can do with their strategic um, innovations and the quality players that they have for a low price. I think the Yankees, once they get healthy in um, about mid-May, when all their players start coming back, Aaron Hicks, Michael Andujar, Giancarlo Stanton, they've just caught a lot of bad breaks um, early this season. Luis Severino in the pitching um, area. So I think the Yankees will be fine once it comes mid-April. Uh, the Astros, as you said, they're only four and five. They'll be fine. Just had a couple rough couple games. So, and even though the Cubs are really, really struggling, um, I'm not really worried about them because I really hope they do bad as a Brewers fan. So I don't care about them. So I'm most worried about the Red Sox because their starting pitching has been bad. They don't have Kimbrel to close that game. So their, uh, bullpen has been a little shaky, um, and I think their offense hasn't totally got it together yet. So maybe that World Series hangover is kind of kicking in. Next, the Padres have started off the season sixth and six and three. Um, one of the best times in San Diego to be a fan right now. Uh, do you think that this team is legit or is it just um, an early season fluke? Um, well, I do not think they're early season fluke. I do not think they're legit, though. I think as of now, um, the young players are still getting settled in. They'll be you know coming up throughout the whole year, so I don't think they'll really have time to all settle settle in as a team to be cohesive enough to, if you even think they make a playoff push. Um, I think there's too many too too many. I think there's two teams ahead of them in the NL West and the Dodgers and the Rockies, but um, playoff ready? No, legit? No, I think. Um, 2020 and 2021 would be their years for um, a wild card and maybe to compete with the uh, with a uh, um, division title. I actually don't think they're. I wouldn't say that they're legit now and would consider them like a division contender with the Dodgers. I don't think they're at that pace yet. Do that? Do I think they could maybe compete for a second wild card? Yes, they have the pieces. They have a lot of momentum right now, and they're actually interested in adding another starter. They were in talks with Keuchel's camp as of recently. They talked to the Blue Jays about possibly trading for Marcus Stroman and even the uh, Cleveland Indians with Trevor Bauer. So um, I think if they add another starter, things get a whole lot more interesting. Um, Fernando Tatis What do you mean, what do you mean has, another starter? They don't have any pitching right now. Well, they've 
been six and three to start the season. Uh, they have to have some pitching to win the games. I don't, but I don't think they have enough to sustain. Those arms are all fresh, coming right out of spring training. There's no way. I, the fact that I can't. I mean, besides like Clayton Richards, who's subpar. They they have they have nobody pitching wise. There's no way they can sustain 162 game season with such poor pitching. They're gonna have to add a lot more and bring a lot more younger pitchers. Mark my words, I think you're underestimating the Padres. I so what, what do you expect? What do you expect them to win this year? Um, I'll go 86 games for them. In the mix of a wild card, do you think they get a wild card? No, I don't think they get a wild card. I think they come. I'll go four games short of it. So I think they're in contention up until September. I would not be surprised at all if they're that. Just because they got a lot a lot of young talent up there. Um, and they've been doing really well. Fernando Tatis has two homers already. OPS of 833 above average. Um, he's one of the brightest young stars in the game. And they have a whole lot more coming up. Um, Manny Machado's kind of started settling in. Eric Cosmer's been better um, than last season. So I think the Padres... Just don't underestimate them. I think they, I think they're better than you. You uh, make it look. All right, I want to bring up a point. Um, you made about uh, the NIT and the NCAA tournament. You made it earlier. Do you care to explain? Yes, I asked Jack while we were watching the Final Four. Would you rather win the NIT as Texas did against Lipscomb this? Uh, I think it was Tuesday, eighty-one sixty-six. So the, Texas wins the NIT. Would you rather do that or be an eight seed and or any seed in the tournament and lose your first game? And here was Wait, his response. Any seed you're saying now? You told me that you'd rather be a sixteen seed. Yeah, than... yeah, I'd be well that car- that carries to a five seed too. Yeah, so any would you rather be any seed and lose the first game of March Madness or would you rather win the NIT? Uh for sure. Lose I'd rather be K State win the Big Twelve and Kansas streak. No, would you rather be you just like, you be- said would you rather seed. would you rather be Balloon Christian, a fifteen seed that got blown up by Kentucky? For sure, them. It's a thrill to win their conference tournament to be in the in the um, NCAA tournament. Nobody really cares about the NIT. Let's be real here. You get so much more media. Would you rather be like a mid major like what about uh like Washington? Would you rather be them and lose? Well, Washington's not a mid major. Or, I'm sorry, an at-large, like Washington. Would it rather be Washington lose your first game or be Alabama or be Texas and win that IT? For sure, Washington. It's, See, this is where... It helps your program so much more if you're in the in, in the tournament. But what if you get the exposure of the NIT? That doesn't help as much. Got, See, I still think it helps recruiting the, so the much experience, more. Or the experience that you get in the NIT is so much more to build your program because you get you still are in high pressure situations. You play in the Garden, one of the probably the best stadium in the entire world. But nobody's looking at it at that time because there's because there's more important games going on. Um, I mean, I just think it's it's great experience for guys to be in a high level situation to compete for a championship. Other than Washington, just or like a at large getting blown out in their so first you, game. So you rather take. Northwestern when they made their four, first uh, tournament in program history. And they won a game. What if they got blown out? So if they get, you'd rather have them not make the tournament I'm and win the NIT. Do you I'm think saying, their fans I'm would be saying, this happy? 
Uh, I'm saying any seed though. I think they. Yeah, I think they'd be just as happy as the, if they win the NIT. I don't think so. I think they'd be very upset that they didn't, that they did not make the tournament, and it could not um, rehatch those wounds for not making the tournament. It makes no sense to me how it helped your program more with recruiting and bringing in guys to show that. Oh, I didn't. We, I don't. I don't think that. But your guys get experience when they're playing in the high level situations, other than just playing in one game and getting blown out, as I said. Okay, there's. It's still much higher level, much higher stakes in the tournament. I don't think that because I think when you're in the NIT, once you tr- start getting to the lead eight, and then. Like, if you saw the video of the Texas locker room after they won their final four game to get to the championship, they were hyped up. Well, they yeah, were cause, excited. Because what, well, what do you think? They're just going to be sitting there? What, what do you expect? That's what you make it look out to be. Like, the NIT is nothing. Because nobody, nobody likes anything from it. Nobody takes any... Nobody says, you can't ask anybody to you can name say that NIT they grew as a Yeah, you can't say that anyone... Could you say that um, people can name the eight seed that got blown out in last year's tournament? Do you remember him? Do you remember all the eight seeds that lost or the nine seeds that lost last year? The at larges. I could I could go back much easier than the NIT, but you're seeing the fact that you're seeing it that it helps that it helps your team more does not make sense because. It doesn't show strides in your team. It doesn't show that you're getting better. Yes, it does because you play more games and your team can improve over those games. Okay, so over a span of span of three years, your team goes, let's say, um, makes the tournament, NIT championship, NIT losing the first round, let's say first or second round, compared to maybe um, NIT NIT um, losing the first round. How does that look better? Well, what if you were, what if you were champions though in the NIT, or would you just lose in the NIT? But isn't isn't show that like, okay, your fans want a national championship, right? Yeah. The closer you are to a national championship would be an eight seed compared to an NIT championship. I wouldn't say that because you're How? growing as a team in the in the in the NIT. You're playing good teams when they're when you're in the NIT. So, so what you just said is, you're not growing in in the tournament, and you're not playing good teams. You're not growing in the tournament if you lose your first game in a blowout. I wouldn't say that. Well, now you're saying it's a blowout. That was never the question. Yes, I said that. You said I would said, you rather be, the question would you, asked, you rather lose the first game? Yeah, lose the first game. You never said a blowout. All you said, you, what you just said, you said you would rather. But okay, but then I asked you, what if it was a blowout? You said the same exact answer. Yeah, because. More exposure helps with recruiting. Well, more exposure to more games in high-level situations in the NIT, other than getting blown out in the first game. So you're okay. You're we're going me- on too long about this. We need to move on. No, no, no. We're staying here. Oh my because gosh! It makes no. We're getting s- nothing accomplished. I'm just saying it makes no sense to me how it helps your program get closer to a national championship when you're because not in you the tournament more, to win a national You get more national exposure when you play over a long period of time, when you play four or five games in the NIT, than when you play one game and get blown out in the first game. All right, we'll, we'll put it to a poll. This is a- oh, my gosh. All right, now after all that shenanigans talk by you, I'm going to hear my own voice talk some real sense about vegans. How do they do it? Jack, what are your opinions of vegans and uh, 
how hard their lifestyle is. That's blasphemy. Um, I don't really understand it. I get, I mean, I get, I get, you know, kind of why they do it or whatever, but um, maybe you know, with health reasons or other things like that. I don't but really like understand the health the whole... reasons. Like, they're good vitamins in meat, and you get good protein from that. And I get that there are other sources, but I think that the meat and fish are just the prime suspects of protein. All right. <laughs> I'm not really I I mean I just think it's like being a vegan is so hard like there are barely any restaurants that offer vegan food what about eggs like is it really that much of a hardship for chickens to lay eggs and then eat them no they yeah, that, do it every day yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense to they, me like if you, if you want to be anything just be a vegetarian but I just experienced a lot of hardship yesterday it was Friday didn't eat any meat I was really hungry I well, mean, there were options. There's options, but you have to put a whole lot more effort into making something. Other than, like, I don't know, fresh ground beef or something, which is really easy to make. Then you have to, like, make a pasta. But I, with pasta, I only like eating it with a meat sauce. So there's, like, a dilemma. Or if you want to make, like, fish, I only like it fried. But if I don't go to a fish fry, then it's at my house, it's usually, like, baked cod. And I think that is not very appetizing and like i only like fried cod so you know you get to the lumbas and it's like how do you do it you know i I just don't understand how vegans do it you have to come up with like super complex recipes you have to eat a lot of quinoa and beans and all that i mean i guess it's kind of yummy sometimes but come on you gotta get your supply of protein and somehow and and good tasting food all right chef andrew (laughs) Um, we're gonna move on to our final four now um, of best bands or the bands we like the most um, in our lifetime. So, um, Andrew, do you want to kick it off? Kick it off? Sure. Um, this was a really tough Final Four. So many great bands out there um, in the history of music. So, with the first overall pick, um, just because of the recent movie that came out about this band, Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm going to go with Queen great um rock and roll band have a bunch of just absolute bangers um can sing along to freddie mercury the lead singer i don't know what the guy's name is but he has really cool hair the long-haired dude he's it's white now but i think it looks awesome absolute rock and roller cool band um for my pick i'm gonna go with the classic the goat the beatles uh the goat yes for sure all right um, they fair, have, fair enough. I won't. I won't get into mm-hmm. argument about this one. They they have all um, the greatest hits. Um, just just ruled ruled music music for ten plus years or so. I think it was like eight. They produced a mass amount of music though. It's unbelievable, remarkable what they did. Okay, for my next pick, I'll go with kind of a modern band, Zach Brown band. Um, probably one of the most, probably the my favorite country artist to listen to uh just have a really sweet tone really relaxing um i think they uh just produce good music and i like it uh for i'm gonna go with a rapping group uh migos hip-hop uh, rap um they have some good songs stir fry walk like i talk it bricks bricks i'm not a huge fan of that one um wishy-washy um bad and bougie I'm bad. I'm you know, that, that, one. that no, one's a good one. I don't. I don't, um, I don't, I don't particularly um, like this group. So, so they, if you're no. uh, if you're a young fellow out there, 
make sure to refrain from this explicit music. But uh, but um, Quavo, their lead singer, or I guess not really lead Quavo. singer. Quavo. Quavo. Okay. Um, Offset and Takeoff. I'm a fan of Offset, honestly. Um, and they, they okay, have all, okay. This they, is too much into <laughs> rap culture. Sure. We're gonna stop, stop, stop. Okay. It's actually hip hop rap is the actual title. Um, for my next pick, I'll go with uh, another old one. I'll go with uh, the Beach Boys. Um, they were in a Full House episode, which is another reason I like them. But um, they kind of just seem like random dudes off the street that have a cool singing voice and they make good music. I like it. Well, speaking of Full House, I'm going to go with Jesse and the Rippers. I was um, going to say that one. I like that one. Um, this one, um, Jesse playing in the club okay, or whatever. Do, is this like, was this actually like a real band? No, it's just for the TV show. But like, how did they sound so good? I mean, they probably got like people, pretty good singers, just to fill the. So spot, this is a so. real band, I guess. Somewhat. So, Jesse Lerpers. All right, my final pick. I'll go with the Pentatonics, particularly for their Christmas music. However, they do do good covers of popular songs. This is an acapella group founded in Texas. They won a singing competition. From then on, it's history. One of the best. I guess uh, I would say my favorite acapella of all time. For me, I'm going to go with um, my last pick in uh, AJR. This is kind of more an unknown um, band or group, but they have some really good songs. Check out their album. Who are they? The Japanese? No, this is not Japanese people. These are Americans. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just assuming letters are Japanese. But no, um, AJR, they have really good music. I suggest to check them out. Today, we'll close you off with the historic um, song, One Shining Moment. This will be played on Monday night after after the nets are cut, but we'll give you a little preview at first just because of this song's greatness. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Bay Brothers.